Hi, it is day 33 of the 85 day mini soda experiment. I'm Jillian Murphy, creator of the Food Freedom Body Love Method, a program for helping women make peace with bodies and food. I also work with children to help them do the same. And today I'm going to talk about more the kid side of things a little bit. It's Friday, TGIF, everybody, for me, as I'm recording this, and things are a little bit hectic here. So this is going to be a mini, mini episode of Food for Thought around, like I said, more on the kid side of things. So when it comes to children, although I use this terminology with adults as well, I sometimes use the terminology work and play food. And the goal is to get away from categorizing foods as healthy or unhealthy, good or bad, um, clean or dirty. You know, these are the, the words that often get applied to food. And so I've taken to using work and play food. And I talked about it. I got to record an episode of Birth to Birth and Beyond um, podcast with Jesse and Anita who are incredible, amazing human beings doing great work in the world. And we had such an incredible conversation about kids and teaching kids, or not even really teaching them, helping them maintain their ability to be competent eaters as they grow, respecting their little bodies as they grow in accordance with their genetic blueprint, and not interfering as we are often encouraged to do for for a couple of different reasons. Um, Sometimes it's because we think children are growing improperly and that can be a result of bad measurements at the doctor's office or it can just be a result of a culture that really values super thin bodies. And so if we have a child that's not falling into um, that ideal, we can sometimes pathologize or decide that their bodies are wrong or gaining too much weight. And then the same equally um, angst ridden is when we think children are faltering in their weight or falling off the weight, the weight curve, again, often because of mismeasurements, but also potentially because of a misunderstanding of how children grow, or it could be a real problem in either direction. So that is what I do in the how to feed sessions is I actually do really thorough assessments for children assessing growth, assessing the way that they're being fed, what they're being fed, parents' relationship with food. It's a very in-depth assessment. And then from there, if there's a problem, there's a plan of action for fixing it. And so again, within these sessions, I often use the words work and play. And I find it very helpful, especially for superfood parents, I call them, which I would totally fall into or used to fall into, which is parents who are very educated and aware of what foods are the most nutrient dense, what foods are potential allergens, what foods could be, you know, what foods are most helpful in the body, what foods are um, functional, meaning they can actually shift things when it comes to health potentially. So parents who are very educated, who have lots of privilege and access to food, um, and are very worried about their children getting the most nutritious diets possible. And in those cases, when there are growth issues, we can often see, you know, I work with the division of responsibility, Ellen Satter's division of responsibility. And essentially, when we start to see issues with food and growth, it it is most likely because there is a problem with interference on on the parent's end. And that's not to blame. I mean, there's lots of reasons why we do that. 
I'm just saying that that's typically what, what we find. And there can be over interference or under interference. And with a superfood parent, which again, I would say that I have absolutely fallen into. So there's like zero judgment here. It's a very common place for parents to be in. It's very, it's almost like culturally expected and accepted at this point. But in that case, what we tend to see is a bit of over interference in the childhood relationship with food and growth. And so, because they're just really engaged parents, right? And um, unfortunately, as with all areas of children's lives, when we are very engaged parents, again, I put myself in this category, absolutely, there is always the risk of over-engaging and taking away a child's opportunity to be curious and to make mistakes and to learn and grow. And as we're seeing with a lot of, um, I think there's a book, I can't remember what it's called, like The Price of Privilege, but what we're seeing is children where children who've had highly engaged um, over-interfering at times parents sometimes don't develop all the skills that they need. And they're, they're struggling later in life because there are important skills that we have to learn through experience and doing. And so that's the whole goal, really, with, with the division of responsibility is to raise competent eaters, right? To raise children who have had the opportunity to learn and experience and be curious and make mistakes. And so anyway, I'm digressing a little bit here. This was supposed to be a mini, mini sode. But I love to talk about this stuff and I feel like I'm (laughs) going to go all over the place. But the whole point is that within these sessions, I often use the words work and play food because I think that it does help some parents understand that it's not about what's good or bad or clean or dirty. It's just about foods that have different purpose. And I, the analogy that I use, which I think I used in the To Birth and Beyond podcast is, you know with kids or with adults, I talk about like, we, we have work to do, right? Like we go to school or we go to work through the week and that's really important. We learn things, there's structure, there's, um, math and science and, and homework and lessons. And that's all really important. But imagine if all you were going to do for the rest of your life, every minute of every day was work or school, how effective do you think that would be? (laughs) How enjoyable do you think it would be? At what point would you just be checked out, right? And so play food is the equivalent of like weekends and time off and vacation and rest and downtime in this analogy. And the play foods, if we understand them within this analogy, it's like they don't need to be super nutritious in terms of nutrients because when it comes to nourishing our children, there's so much more to it than just nutrients, right? In the same way that there's so much to how, so much more to how we learn and how we become good thinkers than just shoving facts into our brains, right? That there's, that all of these other things that we do throughout the week actually enhance and enrich the learning process. And the same is true with the nourishing process. That play foods, while potentially being less nutrient dense, really do play an important role in overall nourishment. And they exist in the world as well, regardless if we can fully buy into that. And so 
children at some point need to learn how to be competent around those foods. So that's kind of the way that I use those terms, just so you sort of get a feel for it. Um, But it was interesting and super thoughtful um, after that podcast was aired, someone messaged me to be like, hey, yeah, I, you know, I love Ellen Satter's Division of Responsibility. I use it. And a couple of other great ways that she was really buying into the podcast and loving it. And then she was like, but what do you think about this whole work food, play food thing? Don't you think that it still sets food up as being some being better than other food? And it was, it was a great question that I had already been thinking about because I am a part of an ongoing affiliate program with Ellen Satter and I was on a webinar and I was actually presenting a case a couple of weeks ago and I brought up this idea of work and play food. And ever since then, I have been thinking about it. Like one of the faculty members was kind of like humming and hawing about it. Although I'm 100% sure I learned it from an Ellen Satter book. But anyway, one of the faculty members was humming and hawing about it just a little bit. Very brief, you know, nothing major. But it did get me contemplating and reflecting and thinking about those terms. And I do think that there is something to be said about this idea that it still sets up a hierarchy around food. Because again, we're a very, we're a a very polarizing culture. And I wouldn't even say culture because I was listening to Brene Brown the other day talk about the fact that our sto- our brains like stories. When we feel any kind of discomfort, our brain likes a story. And our brain doesn't like an ambiguous story, right? Because our brains are still very primitive in terms of like our overall evolution. And so our brains just want to know like good, bad, safe, not safe, dangerous, poisonous, you know, like our brains want actually very black and white things, are the safety, like, like primitive part of our brain really wants that. And so if you understand that we're sort of like biologically set up to want to tell a story and for the story to be very black and white and polarizing, you can totally see why A, our brains love these very black and white stories about food. Like it really helps ease a lot of anxiety for people to have a very like, this is a yes, this is a no. Like this is why people love diets so much because it's clear (laughs) for their reptilian, mammalian, however you want to say it, like lizard brains is sometimes how we call it, the very primitive part of the brain. It's like, do this, don't do that. This is safe, this is unsafe. This is good, this is bad. And so I think right away, if you understand that our brains work like that and like to work like that, then you have this awareness that even when we try to come up with any kind of terminology that separates the foods, we're going to want to know which one's better and which one's worse, right? So there's that. Um, And I think we also are in a culture where we just overvalue work and we really don't value play, especially as adults, right? Even as children, but especially as adults. And so there is the potential... Um, you know, there's the potential for just misunderstanding of what's better and worse just because of how we feel about work and play. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking this information and I'm logging it and I'm not saying that I'm totally throwing it away because I think that that's a mistake because what I think what I'm, what I'm sorting through in my brain is that this is a really good step away on the way to full food freedom, right? Like it really does help a superfood nutrient focused parent understand 
potentially the different roles of food in their child's life and the important the importance of, of multiple different aspects when it comes to nourishing our children that goes well beyond nutrients while still easing that part of their brain that wants to have a little bit of a division of those things, right? And then I think as we go further and further into this work as individuals, as parents, we begin to see that food is food is food and that we can really rely on our bodies, you know, to ask for for what it wants. Um, yeah, yeah. And understanding that, again, as a parent within the division of responsibility, we're also the food providers. So we're always the ones that are making, you know, we're the ones doing the grocery shopping, we're the ones preparing the food, and we're the ones putting it on the table. And so ultimately, um, we have lots of, we maintain lots of control in that way as well. So anyway, I'm not throwing it out the window, but I do think that it's an interesting little nuance to the conversation. And I just wanted to throw it out there as you move through the weekend for yourself as an adult or with your children. Um, this idea of work, play food, is it helpful for you? Does it continue to polarize food for you? Um, just like, where are you at with that? Again, I still feel like it's a very helpful, like as someone who's working therapeutically with people, I need to be able to meet people where they are, which I think is really important because I talk about this work a lot and I'll occasionally get criticisms that I'm not like hardcore enough in terms of like body positivity or like food neutrality or whatever. And I truly am at my core, but I sometimes need to meet people where they are and then like help them along the way. Like that's actually my job and my role is to hold the ultimate ideal and value and then help people and work with people wherever they're at and understand that there are some people who will never see things the same way that I do, but we can still help their children or help them with their relationship with food without them ever needing to fully see the world the way I see it, right? And so I'm always interested in exploring the iterations of this work and like the different the different ways that we come to it and approach it. So anyway, that's your food for thought for the weekend. Um, have, have an amazing weekend. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. If you're loving this podcast, share it with a friend subscribe, rate and review it, do all the things because it really helps. Have an amazing weekend. Bye. Hello and welcome to the Food Freedom Body Love Podcast. I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a licensed registered doctor of naturopathic medicine and the creator of the Food Freedom Body Love Method, a system for helping both adults and children make peace with their bodies weight, and relationship with food so they can pursue health in the most relaxed and enjoyable way.